Good morning. Good to see you. Go ahead, uh, open your Bible to Mark chapter 10. That's where we're going to be this morning, continuing our series as we just walk through the gospel of Mark one chunk at a time. If you're new here, welcome. So glad that you're with us. My name is Matt. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, and just glad that you came to join us. Uh, This is the time in our service we take every week to open up God's Word and to read it and to to see what the Lord would have to say to us today. And I noticed a few of our normal 9 a.m. crowd shifted to the 10.30 today, probably with the time change. 9 a.m. people, we're glad that you're in the room as well, which the time change is good because we all get too much sleep anyways, right? So this is a good shift. I'm just kidding. I have a 10-month-old. Definitely don't get enough sleep. So... Let's jump in. Let's read the first two verses together. Actually, I'll read it out loud. Chapter 10, verse 1 says this, Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. And again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Well, if you thought last week, was uncomfortable. (laughs) Here we go. Last week, hell. This week, divorce. We're growing as a church. We're trying to drive some people away to make more room, so we're going through all these hard topics. No, that's not really uh, the reason. Jesus is, is talking here, though, about marriage and divorce and how we are to think about it together. And like last week with the topic of hell, it's it's in the text. It's here in Scripture, and so we do not just avoid it or pass over it. As we walk through this book of the Bible, we have to talk about it together as a church and try and think through what does this mean for us? What is God saying is true? And so that's what we're going to do together this morning. I just want to acknowledge, like we did last week, this is a challenging topic. This isn't necessarily an easy thing to talk about. It's sensitive because many of us have uh, experience with divorce, either being through one uh, personally or parents, other family members. We, we've seen the impact of divorce on our lives. And so it's sensitive. It's, it's challenging. There are wounds and emotion wrapped up in this topic. And if you're here today and maybe you're, you're, you're single, uh, maybe you're married, maybe you're divorced or remarried, wherever you may be, my hope is that there would be something here in the passage for you, that, that you would be able to walk away with something that God is saying that is true, For your situation, no matter where you find yourself in life. And so let's look at it together. We saw in verse 1, Jesus is doing what Jesus does. He's he's teaching and crowds are are flocking to him. They're gathering to hear him. And while this is taking place, we see these Pharisees come up in verse 2. And they want to test Jesus, it says. They're not trying to ask him an honest question open question. Hey, Jesus, we really want to know, would you help us out? No, they're trying to trip him up, trying to trap him. See, we've seen this before throughout the gospel of Mark. The Pharisees and Jesus, they don't really get along very well because Jesus has this following and the Pharisees are feeling threatened. You know, they're the religious leaders, the cultural religious leaders of the day, and Jesus is pushing back against some of the ways that they're practicing religion, some of their practices, some of their teachings. Jesus is pushing back against, and it's causing some tension. And so they're saying, we gotta, we got to do something about this guy. I want to get rid of this Jesus. And so if we can make him look foolish, or if we can show that he doesn't interpret 
the law the way it should be. He doesn't interpret Scripture very well. We can catch him in some uh, foolish word, then we'll have proof that he's a fake and he's a phony, and then things will go back to normal, and the gig will be up, and we'll get rid of this guy. And so they go to their question laboratory, and they say, guys, what can, let's, let's cook up a really controversial one, one that's going to really get him in hot water and see what he does with it. They say, hey, Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? See, in Deuteronomy 24, in the Old Testament, the law of Moses, Moses wrote that under certain circumstances it was allowed for a man to write his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away. But there was a debate as to exactly what circumstances would allow it. There were two schools of thought. One was a bit more conservative that said only in the instance of sexual unfaithfulness. That's the only grounds for divorce. He could send her away. But then there was a more broad interpretation that was popular in the first century that said basically under any circumstances, a husband can send his wife away. If he's not pleased with her anymore, if she burns a meal, spills his Cheerios, he's not pleased with her for any reason really, he can send her away. Divorce on demand for any reason. And in the midst of that, they say, all right, Jesus, what do you think? What do you say about this? He says, well, verse 3, what did Moses command you? He replied, they said, well, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Again, pointing back to Deuteronomy 24. Moses said it was okay. Jesus responds, verse 5, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. Saying Moses didn't command you to do this. Moses allowed this. He made a a concession in the law because of sin. Because your hearts, men, were hard. See, it was rare for a woman to initiate divorce in the first century. It would be the, the man's prerogative. And so what this certificate of divorce would do, it would allow the woman to have this legal document that would show, hey, I've been kicked out. I've been sent away. I'm not just running around on my husband, here's the certificate, I've been divorced, and it would allow her to be remarried and to have a future and to not be put into shame. Look, it's, it's official. So Jesus is saying, Moses wrote that law to protect these women who are being kicked out and divorced by their husbands who shouldn't have been doing that so that they weren't left high and dry by this divorce. So that's why you find it in the law, Jesus says. But this was not the design. This was not the ideal from the beginning. This was not God's heart for marriage. It goes on in verse 6. At the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Saying, guys, you're thinking about this the wrong way. You're trying to find a way out. I want you to look at a way forward in your marriage. I want you to look at the heart of the matter. He's like, I'm not going to go into all the loopholes and all the exceptions. I just want to, as clearly as possible, show you the heart of the matter, the bigger picture about marriage and what it is all about. And so what he does, you notice he takes us back to the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapters 1 and 2, what we read here 
is a quote from that book, and he's showing us that if we want to understand marriage, we want to understand what it's all about. We don't start with our current situation, the current cultural climate. No, we look to God's Word. And so how has God designed it? He said, here it is. It's a man, a woman, male and female, united for life. Many might reject that or debate that today, but the Scripture is clear. In the beginning, God made them male and female, verse 6, and then verse 7, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. I'll I'll usually read this passage at, at weddings that I'm officiating because it so clearly outlines what is taking place in a marriage. Two things. One, there's a a leaving behind of something. You notice verse 7 says that? A man shall leave his father and mother. And so in in marriage, the two parties leave behind an old way of life, old relationships, old family structures, old priorities, and then they are united to their spouse. They hold fast to their spouse. They leave and cleave to their spouse, which means that there's a new set of priorities, reordered priorities, right? A new set of responsibilities as their marriage becomes the primary focus in their life. And verse 8 repeats this phrase that is so central to what's going on here. It says, the two will become one. The two will become one flesh. They're no longer two, it repeats, but one flesh. And so in this union, there's this mysterious reality that in a very real and profound way, these two individuals become one flesh. Their lives together are bound up in such a way that cannot be separated. They're they're joined in the covenant of marriage, signaled by sexual intimacy, connected and, and fused together in such a way that it's unlike any other human relationship. Now, you would think that two people involved in marriage would be a given, that no one would really debate that, that there are two parties in marriage. But, friends, I've come across some recent developments that would challenge that assumption. There's a website I found, true story, wish I was making this up, it's called I Married Me. Com, where you can marry yourself. Seriously. No, I'm, I'm serious. You can order a kit for a couple hundred dollars, and they'll send you one wedding ring, a order of service for a self-wedding ceremony. They'll send you a set of vows, and you can get married to yourself. And that, that kit, that self-wedding kit, comes with a little bit of a... Uh, encouragement cards, so you can write notes of encouragement to yourself throughout the year. Seriously, I mean, I, this is a true thing. I wish I were joking. Go on the website, find it. It's there. Imarriedme.com. I thought, wow, I, I thought I had heard everything, but I, now you never know. So, but is this the picture Scripture paints? No, Scripture says it's, it's two, two people becoming one. Man and woman becoming one flesh, joined together by God. And notice that it's not in marriage you 
just work towards unity, or if you do it right, eventually you'll be one flesh, eventually you'll be joined or united by God. No, it's saying this is a reality. If you are married, you have been joined together. You are united. You are one flesh. It's a reality. It's true of you and your spouse. And so in light of that, Jesus says, therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. If God has joined you together, rather than finding a way out, I want you to find a way forward. So he says, Pharisees, you guys are, are looking at it all wrong. Now, if this is true, what Jesus says, why has our society strayed so, so far from this picture of, of marriage, this beautiful picture of, of unity and God-centered oneness. I mean, we've all heard the statistics about divorce rates out there. And even in sometimes the ways we talk about marriage, it's been, it's been cheapened or limited to a thing that if it's convenient, sure, why not? If it helps you out. But, you know, if the spark is gone or the excitement is gone or things get tough or challenges come, well, then maybe it's time to move on. If the charm wears off or your spouse isn't as attractive as they used to be, maybe it's time to move on. Tim Keller, in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, the first chapter, he tries to unpack a little bit where that mindset comes from, why we have shifted so much in the way we think about marriage. And he talks about how we used to think about marriage as something for the common good, for the good of society, for the building up of the family, for the mutual joy, mutual service. But now marriage is seen primarily in terms of personal fulfillment. It's a way for you to get your needs met and for you to advance in society in some way. It's really about you. He references this 2002 study done by the National Marriage Project where they sought to understand why men were so hesitant to commit, why men were so hesitant to get married. Many of these men shared that they were just waiting for the perfect spouse, waiting for the perfect soulmate, one who they were very compatible with. But the way they defined compatibility was interesting. They said this, they were looking for someone who was willing to take them as they are, who wouldn't it change them? Someone who would fit into their life as it currently was. And Keller said men aren't alone in this. Men and women alike are now looking for someone that they can receive emotional and, and sexual satisfaction from, but who will simply let them be themselves. But think about it. If you don't want your spouse to expect anything from you, to expect you to change nothing about your life or your priorities or your routines. And really, you need a spouse who's extremely low maintenance, a spouse who's extremely put together without many problems, someone who's healthy, someone who's happy, interesting, attractive, exciting, who meets your needs without expecting anything from you. The problem with that is I'm not sure such a person really exists. Or such a marriage really exists, and so we put all this pressure of expectations on our spouse to fulfill us and to expect nothing of us in return. I mean, marriage, I imagine, has always been hard, but do you see how these expectations have brought it to a new level? If it's all about me, I mean, no wonder people get into marriage and are, are, are disappointed. 
discouraged and want to pursue divorce. But you see how Jesus' definition is, is so different. He says, no, what God has joined together, what God has made one, don't try to separate it, don't try to undo it. When things are hard or when expectations aren't met, rather than finding a way out, find a way forward. Because God has joined you together. God has made you one flesh. Your spouse is now a part of you. It's not just about you anymore, right? It's not just about you. And so we've gotten so off track in thinking that marriage is just about self-fulfillment, personal fulfillment. When Scripture shows us that actually marriage is about self-denial for the good of our spouse. Ephesians 5 makes this even more clear as we survey elsewhere in Scripture what it has to say about marriage. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is writing and he's talking about how uh, the picture of marriage, a man and a woman committed for life, is intended to be this visual representation of the gospel, this visual representation of how God loves his people. I encourage you, take time today to go and read the full chapter. It's powerful. And he says there in verse 25, these words to husbands, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. His men, I want you to love your spouse how God has loved you. And how has God loved you? By dying for you, by sacrificing everything for your good, by laying down his life for you. So that's what I want you to do for your spouse. It's not about you. It's about caring for them. And he continues. Verse 29, after all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. So again, this picture of Christ and the church. Husbands and wife, you are one flesh, one body. Care for your spouse accordingly in the same way that Jesus Christ cares for his church selflessly with a sacrificial love. And so we see that, again, marriage is this picture of God's relationship with His people. Even when we neglect God and pursue others and turn our hearts from God and grow cold to Him, He remains faithful, doesn't He? He loves us and forgives us and endures with us. His grace is there for us even when we sin. And so that is, that's the gospel that we remember, right? That we are saved and reconciled to God and forgiven, not because of what we have done, but because of His grace and His continued faithfulness to us despite our sin. And so we see that in that context, we see why marriage is so serious. Because God wants to show the world something about Himself by our marriages. Our marriages are intended to speak, to reveal to the world who God is. And God wants to wor the world to know that He never, ever, ever forsakes His people. He never leaves them. That's what He wants the world to see. Back in Mark chapter 10, Jesus takes it even further if we weren't already uncomfortable enough. He says, this in verse 10, when they were in the house again with the disciples, the disciples asked Jesus about this, about everything that had just happened. And he answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. 
And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. So what's he saying? He's saying if you've gotten divorced and then married another, it's committing adultery. And yes, there are some exceptions that we'll talk about in a minute, but Jesus doesn't go into the exceptions. His point here is to show us the rule. What's the, the big picture, the main point? He's saying divorce is trying to separate what God has joined together. He says this is adultery, this is sin, this is breaking the commands of God, violating this one flesh union that God has created. So what do we do with that? There are a few groups of people I think we need to want to speak to today. Uh, first, I want to recognize for all of us, I don't, I don't know your story. I don't know your specific situation. I don't know the details, and I'm not going to pretend to. And I realize that this is a, a sensitive, difficult issue. And so I first want to speak to some of you today who maybe you were divorced, you're here divorced, and, and you're not the guilty party. You didn't want it this way. You wanted to remain faithful. You wanted to find a way forward, but your spouse wanted a way out. And so you find yourself divorced today. If that's you, know this, that God loves you. God is near to you in that broken place. Scripture reminds us that God is close to the brokenhearted. He sees you. He knows your pain. He's with you. He's near. Now, the Bible does talk about some exceptions to this rule Jesus is laying down about not getting divorced. Matthew 19 talks about how if there's sexual unfaithfulness, divorce is permitted. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it talks about how if there's abandonment, if the spouse up and leaves, it's grounds for divorce. And we would also probably add to that if there's dangerous physical abuse in the home, that would be a situation that we would advocate someone to get out of. On those grounds, divorce is allowed. Still not ideal. For honest, according to Scripture, reconciliation is the ideal restoration of marriages, repentance for those that have sinned and are the guilty party. So we'd encourage, what, a season of prayerful, thoughtful, Separation, if necessary, but the hope is that there will be repentance and reconciliation, the rebuilding of a marriage. But what if this is you? What if you're here this morning, you've, you've, you've been divorced, and maybe you're remarried now, maybe you're in a second or a third marriage? What do we do with that? If there were no grounds for it, first step would be to recognize here that what Jesus says is true. That would be a starting point, recognizing that what God says about marriage is, is true and right, and His design is best, and recognize that we have failed to obey. We've committed sin, and I, may, I realize that, again, even speaking to this group, there's people in all sorts of different places. Maybe that's you, and you just simply have never heard something like this before, or maybe at the time you got divorced, you didn't know that this was God's command. You didn't know that this is what Scripture says. But it's possible that you, you did know. Maybe you're someone that, that did hear this and you did it anyways. 
and sin and broke apart what God wanted to remain whole. If that's you, we have to respond to this sin, what Jesus calls sin in the same way that we would respond what, to any other sin, right? Which starts with recognizing it as sin. Starts with confession. God, here is where I have been in error. And so some of us today might need to look back at our past and say, wow, I sinned. God, I, I did something I shouldn't have done. I broke up something that you wanted to keep together. I need to acknowledge that. Now, this doesn't mean that if you're in a second marriage or a third marriage that you should get divorced again. That's not what Jesus would advocate. It's not that you're in this perpetual state of, of sin. That's not the case. You're, you're married now, and that marriage is to be upheld and, and honored and valued. It's, it's real. But again, we might need to look back on what we've done and say, Wow, Lord, I'm sorry. And would you bless me now? Would you forgive me? And God will. He will forgive us. He will bless our family and bless our marriages. We come to him in repentance, acknowledging what has taken place. And I realize many of us with divorce in our past have have done that already. There's been that response of repentance and and you've sought God's forgiveness. And if that's you, then, then know that you are forgiven, that there is grace for you. Because again, if this is like any other sin before the Lord, then if we repent, He forgives us. There's grace that abounds to us when we come to Him. Right? This is not like a blacklist sin that puts you on the outs forever. This is not the unforgivable sin because we look to Scripture and how did Jesus treat those caught in adultery? Incredible grace. I remember John chapter 8. A woman caught in adultery, brought before him. The people want to stone her, want to kill her, want to condemn her. Jesus, look what she did. What does he say? It's okay. He who is without sin, throw the first stone. They all walk away. Coaches the woman, come here. No one condemned you? There's no one. What does he say? Neither do I condemn you. He welcomes her. He extends grace to her. Forgiveness. He also at the same time says, go and leave your life of sin. He doesn't say, hey, what you did was no big deal. It wasn't sin. Don't worry about it. You're cool. No, he says, sin is real. What you've done is wrong. Don't do that anymore. But grace, I don't condemn you. There's welcome, invitation to know him there. So that would be the same word for you today if you've sinned in this way. You're in the same boat as really any of the rest of us who have sinned in plenty of other ways. There's grace for us. Now, if you're here today and you are married, I think the meaning of the passage is pretty clear that God wants you to stay in your marriage. God wants you to fight for your marriage. You're bound together as one flesh. And again, yes, there are exceptions, but the big picture is that followers of Jesus are to look for a way forward in their marriages, not for a way out. 
it's hard and challenging, and I don't come before you as this marriage guru or some expert with a whole six and a half years of marriage under my belt. You know, I, I have a lot to learn as well. I just want us to see, here's, here's what Jesus is saying. Here's what Jesus is putting before us. And let's use this together as an opportunity to look at the state of our marriage. How healthy is it? How together are we? You know, have we been ships passing in the night? Maybe we're legally still married. Maybe we're living in the same house, but the connection, the, the intimacy is, is gone. We're not sharing life together anymore. We're just kind of doing our own thing. That happens. Are there signs of maybe criticism in our marriage? Maybe defensiveness in our marriage? Maybe emotional withdrawal? Physical withdrawal? Marriage can be hard, and these things happen. And so the hope is that we, as a church, would, would work on our marriages, would find a way forward together. And it's challenging because we can't two sinners, put them in really close proximity for a really long time. And so we shouldn't be surprised when challenges come. We shouldn't be surprised when things get hard. But when they do, let's Let's work on them. And if you're here today and your marriage isn't going well, I plead with you, talk to someone. Talk to someone. Come and talk to me. Come and talk to Pastor Lee. Come and share with someone else at the church. Let us walk with you through this. And if you look around the room, this is a church full of godly men and women that want to support you, that want to pray for you, that want to encourage you. It's not something you have to go through alone. It's not something that you have to go through thinking that you're the only one who's dealing with this. You're not. I guarantee you, you're not. So let us be a community that, that navigates this together. This is, again, a good reminder about small groups. Right? If you're not in a small group, a small group is a great opportunity to get to know people on a regular basis, share life with them so that when things do come up, you can ask for prayer. You can go to one another for support. and encouragement. Last thing I want to do is just want to encourage this uh, opportunity. It's this marriage curriculum I've come across. There's a lot of Christian marriage stuff out there. Some of it's better than, other, uh, better than others. But this is one that Amber and I are going to be going through. And I wanted to share it with you. It's uh, called Five Dates. There's a him workbook and a her workbook. And it's something that is intended for couples to go through together, and it's designed to strengthen their marriage. And it's really simple. It's not a super in-depth Bible study. It's not super, honestly, super deep in theology all the time. But the idea is just to get you communicating, talking. And, and the, the premise is you do a little bit of reading. You fill out you know, a couple little worksheets. It's kind of fun. There's creative ways to get you thinking about your marriage and where you're at. And then you go on a date, and you talk about what you learned in your workbook. Really simple. And you do that, guess how many times? Five times. Hence the name, Five Dates. I think it's like 30 bucks for the two-pack. And so, again, Amber and I are going to be going through it. A few people from the first service said that they were interested. And so, man, if you would like to take this step, if you haven't done anything maybe intentional to work on your marriage, why not try it? It's creative. It's fun. It's a helpful way just to get you talking, get you connecting. And it is biblically based. And so uh, if you're interested, on your card today, you can check the box. Or actually, there's no box for it, but you can write on the comment section. Uh, five dates, 
Order me a copy, and we'll, we'll order them. We'll have them for you next week, and, and uh, I think, really, it's a, a helpful resource to you. So I wanted to make that available. With that, it's kind of a hard teaching today, friends. Sometimes when we go to God's Word, it's challenging, it's convicting, it's uncomfortable, but I'm grateful that we can do this together as a church and say, Lord, what is true? Lord, what would you have for us? What do you want us to believe, and how do you want us to live? specifically in regard to our marriages. And this is an opportunity for us, church, to look forward. There's a lot of stuff in our past, but what if we look forward and say, man, how can we as a church start to model this kind of of honor and and love and value for our marriages? What if we modeled that for our our kids and our, our grandkids? They started to see that, and we raise up a generation of men and women who come to Scripture and say, Jesus is right about marriage. Two become one for life. That's the goal. Wouldn't that change a lot of what we see? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Even where it's uh, difficult, thank you for your grace that you forgive us our sin when we come to you and ask for it. And God, we thank you just again for the reminder of the gospel that we see in this passage that marriage shows us, it's intended to show us who you are. God, you are faithful. You never leave us. You constantly pursue us even when we don't deserve it. Thank you, God. Would you now give us strength and wisdom to apply your word to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we